Hey everyone, Jay here. This is the second part of our interview with Charles Griffiths from Cavalier Studios about The Sexy Brutale. If you haven't heard part one of our interview with Charles, make sure to go back one episode before continuing. Squidge was about ready to let loose with a Hadouken shortly before we recorded this one, and that was because his mic was playing up. He's fixed it in post, because he's an audio engineering wizard, but we wanted to let you know in case you spot anything that's slightly off. One last thing. There may be spoilers in this episode, so listen out for the spoiler warning music or check the chapters list in your podcatcher. But, you know, one thing that I did, uh, I did really like about what we were able to do, what the time loop offered us in terms of, again, solving adventure game puzzle problems, that kind of thing, um, was the map and the fact that every time you witness something, it gets recorded down the map. I liked that because anything in a point and click game, it's very, very on off. You know, if you're stuck, you're stuck. And that's it. Like you can go around and sort of add to your personal knowledge and things like that, but you're really, you know, you you are now stuck and you will be stuck. You won't have made any progress in the game until you sort of unstick yourself. Um, whereas I did like the fact that because the nature of sex brutal, we could have this map and have you add to it. So even if you're stuck, you know, you can always fall back on, ah, you know, I'll just follow some more people and I'll keep adding to the map and it, you know all, all that knowledge is getting recorded we're doing a bit of the stuff for you you know we're trying to continue we can still give you some reward some feedback because you can just follow people and we can just add that to the map so you're always you know if you're doing nothing else you're adding to the map which is something so. i will i'll just mention two more things before Jay gets back on track because there's a lot of questions that um the the discord people wants to ask um first thing i want to mention is i think it's really cool the further you get into the game and you're trying to save other people that you still hear the things from because it's it's the same time loop right and you're in different parts of the house so at a set point you'll hear glass mm-hmm. smash or you'll hear a gunshot and it's while you're still trying to solve other things and you think well they've yeah, just popped it yeah. you know and so so there was that and I, I tended to fall into a loop of if I didn't know what I was doing, I would just save the person from the previous day again just to get away. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I couldn't help myself. Right, if I couldn't figure it out. And the other one is And then you get it you get a little hint. You I've get still a little got hint in my head. You redo a puzzle, right? You know, little another little point in there. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that I still can't get out of my head now is the music. <laughs> oh, that music. Oh, I love that music. Oh. I love it. That that sort of music reminds me of when I was playing that I was getting strong vibes of sort of Cluedo but you're trying to prevent a death instead of figuring out yeah. what happened and because I was doing that whenever there was text on the screen I was narrating it myself but it was only one of two voices and it was very oh hi, yes Charles how's it going and, and the, the women were exactly the same the female <laughs> characters as well so whenever anything was happening I was narrating it as I was playing it whilst winding myself up because I couldn't <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> people who walked by while I was playing it kept giving me really weird looks what the hell are you doing <laughs> that's fair enough but yeah the, the music's very catchy I, I do yeah like yeah, the, the, yeah the music um, the music went down really well those guys did a really good uh, really good job uh, that we were working with on that it was um, you know again uh, 
James had a very clear idea for the music and the kind of electro swing uh, thing and those whole kind of um, that whole vibe. And then it was it was Lowrider uh, Studios in Brighton um, that we worked with on it. And yeah, they just did they just did such a great job. You know, I love the uh, theme tune. I mean, obviously, it makes my ears bleed now. Um, because you know, to me, it's just feelings of being awake at four a.m. And, uh, and working. Um, but yeah, it is. It is great. They did a really good job. So just just one really last quick thing I just want to mention before Jay gets us back on track. It was a pretty daft place to put an orchestra pit. That's all I'm saying. Tequila didn't have a chance. No, to not really. No, no. <laughs> but, <laughs> Anyone who's played it will understand. <laughs> I think the uh, because because of the floating rooms as well. What's uh, it's it's a shame that we're never able to kind of get across the geography of what because that's an angle that you can never see. But obviously that orchestra pit. I think if you could be in the theatre and look up, it would look super awesome, right? Because that whole mosaic and everything is meant mm-hmm. to be so you know partially elevated above the theatre. Um, so that's obviously you know where she yeah. uh, uh, where she pulls through into. Well, yeah, when she gets trapped yeah. by it, but yeah, not a good place for her. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Okay, um, so we, uh, like Squidge said, we do have a few questions from uh, from the Discord server. So uh, I have actually been given permission <laughs> to say that there is a the sexy brutal Discord server, which I believe is set up by a whole bunch of fans who um, absolutely love playing the game and like to swap. Um, Did you try this room? Have you looked in here? Did you see this dialogue tree that very few people see? So they're always discovering little bits, and they do. Uh, there's lots of fan art that they fling around as well. So it's this huge community built oh, around cool. this one game. Huh, yeah, and wow. we'll I'll put the I'll put the link into the show notes. And if you'd like, Charles, I could send you the link uh, off air. That's not a problem. So cool, yeah, what we're saying that. is, people who are listening in are, are obviously, um, you know, you feel free to join that conversation. Um, it's nothing to do with us. It's just something that I know of because because uh, White Mage has told us about it. Um, cool. But one of the uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask, and this is probably uh, revealing a little bit too much of my personal history, was um, so why Lafcardio, right? Because the only thing I think of when I think of Lafcardio is I think of Lafcardio Hearn, who is uh, who was a gentleman who moved to Japan 120 years ago, wrote loads of books about Japanese folklore and Japanese legends, and then died there under a different name. That's mm-hmm. all I can think. Of. I don't know any other famous Lafcardios, right? Was <laughs> it just a case of, well, it's a cool name, right? What's that all about? <laughs> uh, no, no. I mean, you're right. You're right. It is, um, you know, uh, inspired by. It's not. It's not that he is Lafcardio Hearn or anything like that. Obviously, um, but yeah, that was certainly an inspiration. And both my brother and I had lived in Japan uh, for a period in different different parts of it. But James lived in Kumamoto which is where Lafcadio Hearn was or stayed at one point or something like that. So that was where James first read uh, that stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's certainly, um, he's, you know, certainly part of it. And, uh, and the character, the character is obviously, you know, amalgamation of different sort of inspirations and people, but yes, you know, Lafcadio Hearn is definitely, uh, definitely one of them. So you're, you're right on that. <laughs> Excellent, excellent. Yeah, yeah. Bit of a fan of uh, of Japanese history myself. So it was like I was playing it going, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's cool. That's cool. Um yeah, we actually I actually traveled to uh Japan last year 
for a little while and produced like an audio diary of the places that we went to and okay. released that as part of the show. So for the folks who are listening, if you haven't heard it, they'll put a link in the show notes for that as well. Um, but yeah, I'm a big fan of, uh, of I'm more a fan of the Southern um, uh, provinces and, and states in Japan, not in states, it's the wrong word, but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like Fukuoka, Nagasaki, Hirado, places like that. So right. yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, that's I mean, that's, that's, uh, yeah, that's about, I, I was near um, Himeji. And, oh, cool. Uh, you know, uh, and yeah, James was down on Kyushu. So I never even made it to Tokyo. It's, you know, too expensive no, to travel no. around once you're there. So was, well, <laughs> that's it, right? I've always said to people, if you want to know what Tokyo's like, go to Piccadilly Circus. Right. <laughs> that's that's it that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right you want to know what it's like go to piccadilly circus and just mm-hmm. pretend you don't speak the language that's essentially tokyo at least or rather the, the version of tokyo that you see in your head when you think tokyo yeah, right? yeah. that's it right <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, yeah it's uh it didn't yeah it, uh, you know i'd love to go but it, it wasn't there was still just so much other stuff to see in japan you know yeah. so uh, yeah. you can only do so much really that's it, right? That's it. Um, but yeah. Uh, but yes. Uh, sorry. Yeah. So the Discord server. So we've asked a bunch of people on the Discord server. If you could say anything, if you have any questions, please let us know. And there's a whole bunch of people who expressed essentially uh, the the point of, I just want to ask if they know how much we love the Sexy Brutal or <laughs> just let them just let the devs know that we love the game and we love them for making it. And thanks for cre- uh, sharing fan creations as well. So, you know, people send in fan art and stuff and it gets shared about. So thanks for that. That's that's a huge point for them is at least the, this corner of the community, the folks that answered on this server is just thank you ever so much, I guess. So, well, yeah, I mean, that's, that, uh, that's awesome. And then obviously, well, this is our opportunity then to say thanks to them, you know, it obviously, and it, it is, it's great that they, you know, track this down and, and pass on the message. It is, it is very nice to appreciate it a lot because, it wasn't an easy game to make. And, uh, and there were certainly times where you sat there two, three, four in the morning, seven days a week, where you're kind of thinking, I hope this means something to somebody someday. So if it means something yeah. to, to those guys on the Discord, then that's that's great. That's, you know, that's exactly what we wanted. That makes us very happy. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's nice for me as well to experience, to be able to pass on this message. So, yeah, uh, awesome. Um, and yeah, working until silly o'clock in the morning and then realizing, yeah, I hope this is useful. is something that, I mean, I, I do in my own time just for my own little personal projects and then they don't get used. So <laughs> I'm going to share vicariously in your, in your feelings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, so yeah, um, so one of the people that asked, um, they'd love to know about the development of, of an atypically distinct but very human cast and the general world building. So mm-hmm. I feel, uh, I, I don't know whether that's more a question for you or for, uh, you mentioned your brother a lot in the in the writing process, but, you know, is that something that you were involved with as well? And, and, and how how did that all come about? How did you go about producing this uh, this this world that is, unique and distinct but very relatable sure yeah i mean uh yeah yeah i suppose i've mentioned uh i mean there, there are three of us right i've mentioned my brother a lot <laughs> if I, don't, uh, I should mention tom obviously because there, there are three you know three of us that really directed the game right so we sort of we had a part in all the different bits of it right it's one of those 
you know, standard collaborative things where it's like we've all got our areas of responsibility, but you end up kind of kicking everything around the three of you. So, yeah, I mean, so everything in terms of, you know, puzzle design or main mechanic design or uh, layout of anything or art stuff or, you know, story things, obviously, you know, you all want to be behind it. You all want to be behind it and all want to understand it and all like it and believe in it. So, yeah, in terms of uh, the world building and the cast, I mean, that's certainly something. I mean, you know, it's definitely it's James's kind of characters all over and something I think I guess something that we always find really strange is that having like a varied cast of characters doesn't necessarily feel like a huge selling point or achievement. Do you know what I mean? It's it, it just if you're going to make a game with an ensemble cast, if you're gonna make anything with an ensemble cast then if it's going to be interesting at all, you're probably going to need a variety of characters that, you know, are different and interesting in their own ways. So, you know, one thing that I guess we've never quite understood sometimes is, you know, people making an enormous deal out of having a female protagonist or something like that. It's not, it's not inherently interesting. You know, it's, it's what, what have you done with those characters? You know, what, 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 what do they do? You know, but just, just, basic elements of, of the character doesn't, you know, make them a character, doesn't make it interesting. And, you know, just a, a, a strong female character, for example, isn't necessarily interesting, you know, because a character that is just strong, if you can only describe them as being strong, that's not very interesting. You know, it's the flaws that make up characters. So, you know, it, it never occurred to us that, you know, it, it was sort of a big selling point of the game to say like oh well look all these characters are quite different it just felt like that was the natural thing to do that's what you know that's what james would do when doing interesting characters interesting characters you know when you're doing a variety of them that's that's what's going to happen and all of them you know nobody is a is a saint or a devil you know that's another thing it's it's important like the female characters or whatever aren't just strong you know they're, they're more than one characteristic and not all of those characteristics are positive because, you know, people people just being saints isn't interesting either. So all the people, you know, in Sex Bizarre, I'd like to think that they've, they've got different things going on. You know, they're not uh, they're not just one thing. And, uh, and they're not all necessarily good people either. <laughs> they're, they're a combination. You've got some good people and some bad yeah. people and, and people that, you know, are a mix of the characteristics. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that was it, yeah. So it was part of, um, it just felt natural to us that we'd want to really different and weird and slightly eccentric characters and things that had stuff about them that made them visually different and and, and different in terms of the roles they filled and the way they acted with each other you know you just think you want to hit as many different notes as possible i think i think that percolates throughout everything we're doing really was we don't because again with the puzzles and stuff where we tried not to repeat ourselves and and we tried to keep the game short and tight and have it only be kind of the greatest hits of the whole time loop idea there was lots of stuff that we we didn't put in the game you know things that we had done to some in some cases you know whole puzzles that are completely finished and ready to go but we just cut them because they weren't they made the game longer they just didn't necessarily make the game stronger and better so i think it's it's that that approach you know actually sort of applies similarly with the characters is let's not have 
pointless repetition you know let's not have somebody that feels the same way it's part of the part of the fun and joy of doing something like this is that well we can do all these different characters and we can do all these different puzzles the, the variety is sort of the fun of it so yeah i don't know i don't know if that sort of answers the question <laughs> i mean i feel like it does um you hinted at something there that is very important i think to uh storytellers games designers tv show writers movie writers book writers whatever any kind of storyteller is that you got to make the content compelling and if you don't care about the characters then there's no story um Mm. because it doesn't really matter about the story after that point because at a certain point if you if you abstract yourself far enough away to that ten thousand foot view all stories are person goes from here to their end Right, it's the interactions, it's the character-driven bits that we actually care about because there's only really five or six different types of story, and it's the actual characters and the the compelling nature of their interactions that we really care about. We might be um, distracted by flashy graphics or some kind of special effect, but at the end of the day, it's still just it's the interactions between the characters, and without those, you've got nothing, like you said. And and it's interesting that you've brought up that there's a few things that you took out because the next question that we had was uh, what are some of your favorite things that didn't make it in to the final version of the game? Right. Cause this is, this is uh, as someone who, who creates, but not in any way the same scale. When you create something, you go, that's awesome, but it doesn't fit. (laughs) Good. I have to take it out. (laughs) Yeah. I think, um, yeah, it's tough on that one because there is there's stuff that we took out, but it's not stuff where I feel like, oh, that's my favorite thing, you know, because if I think the stuff that was our favorite stuff got in. Uh, so there's there's nothing sort of immediately springs to mind about being, oh, what's, you know, something that cuts that, that hurt to make, um, because I think it was more the cuts that were sort of necessary and made it made it tighter and better. I mean, there's certainly things that we'd change. I mean, just linking on to the whole characters and story thing and like, say the story being stuff that happens to be, I think something we didn't appreciate how hard it would be at the beginning and took us a while to sort of realize why it was feeling so difficult was that issue that they're all being victims. I mean, so that, that is tough because yeah, a story is that, you know, pe- people do things, they take actions. And uh, the cloud hanging over all these people was that they were ultimately things, you know, they were people that stuff needed to happen to. And that was an absolute requirement of what the game is and what the puzzles are. But then that is difficult to make those people shine as people because they're, you know, a little bit hamstrung in, uh, you know, what they could do because ultimately you know, they are going to get killed. They're going to get killed by somebody else or, you know, something else. Uh, so that's the thing there. And then in terms of, yeah, getting rid of, um, getting rid of some stuff. I mean, there was a puzzle. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't miss it. Um, but that was basically, I mean, it was done. It was completely done. It was in the game. And, and there was no, there was no, uh, technical reason or, you know, to take it out, but we took it out because it just wasn't, it didn't suit. Um, but that was obviously to do with the, the end of the game and the way uh, that the whole, the, you know, what the marquee did um, and how it was revealed. There's a puzzle that sort of mm. uh, allowed you to kind of step through and and reveal a bit more of exactly how that was done, how the, the place was burned. 
And that was a bit more another thing that, you know, people often think with the game when they sort of first hear it described is, do I have to go around in one loop and save everybody? They think, you know, that's the ultimate solution to the game or something. But, you know, that, that doesn't work for all kinds of reasons. Um, and I don't necessarily think that's like a great climax anyway, the idea of being like, oh, and now you do it all in one big loop. Of course, we consider that, you know, at one point, but it's just like, well, it's not that interesting. But we had a puzzle that was kind of like that. It, you know, it, it meant that you sort of needed to revisit everything in one uh, quick in, in one loop and it, it you know it just didn't it, i mean i suppose it contributed something story-wise because it did allow you to kind of get a, a great sense for exactly how it went down but it, it just wasn't that fun it wasn't that fun and it slowed down the ending uh, and that was another thing we were keen to not do you know is that we wanted to keep the game tight and focused and i think there's another thing that you know we all me, Tom and James all dislike is when a game has just run out of steam and you're ready for it to end. You know, you've, you've had a good time with it, but you're kind of ready for it to end. I felt a little bit like this with Doom Eternal. You know, it was that, that you, you'd sort of, you'd, you'd been through the power curve, you'd, you'd reached sort of maximum power and got the weapons and had some good challenging fights and you're sort of ready for it to end now. You've had a good time, and I, and I wish, you know, more things knew when to end because the ending's so important because if you end at the right time, everybody comes away with that glowing feeling of, oh, I, I, you know, I wish I could have more. And if you leave people with that feeling, they have, you know, they, they always talk about that game really reverentially, like, oh, I love that game, I love that game, I love that game. Whereas even games that people loved when they were midway through, if they get a little bit sick of it towards the end, they walk away with that, like, ah, oh, it was okay. That yeah, was all right. Because their lasting memory is how they mm. sort of got a bit bored of it at the end. So, you know, we really wanted to, to when the, when the game was, uh, you know, when Sex Retail was sort of ending, you know, it does, it does suddenly go on a bit of a roller coaster, right? And then it doesn't, it doesn't sort of punt you back to normal gameplay. And we wanted that. It was like when it was ready to end, it was ready to end. So this, this other bigger puzzle just kind of interrupted that and didn't, didn't really add anything. Okay, I mean that's a, that's that's a good answer because you know, that gives you an idea that, uh, like you said, you 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 made everything as as tight and fun as possible. Uh, I like that. Um, so the 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 final question from the Discord group is a. Uh, bit of a wordy one that's not that's not in any way uh, meant to sound horrible or anything it's it's there's a there's a lot of detail so i'm going to attempt to read it without saying uh too many times because there was actually an earlier episode when i said so i'm going to read this without saying uh and then the next word i said was uh, uh so <laughs> that's all right I it's, it's fine it's probably you can tell they're a sex brutal fan anyway because uh, i probably give very very wordy answers so <laughs> <laughs> fair enough um See, I just did it then. Um, so was it intentional to subvert expectations? For example, with character design, uh, is it Aram Runes is a is a fat guy without being the butt of the joke? And Tequila Bell is a diva, but she actually cares about people, which is not something you'd expect to see in that sort of diva person, right? That persona that you see, that person who's a diva doesn't really care about everyone, but Tequila seems to care about everyone. Was it... Was it an explicit goal to try and invert some of those um, expectations? Or was it just a case of, yeah, we're trying to make them human. We're trying to add both the positives and the negatives. 
how did that happen? Was it just let's make the characters 3D by giving them these features that people like and dislike? Yeah, well, that is like I said, it's um, it's something that I, I guess felt easier to do. It, it, it's easier to do when you're not thinking about it so much. It's just if that's what you like, then you'll just do it, and that's the sort of characters you're gonna make. But we certainly felt that. I mean, that's something that always feel. Uh, about a lot of this stuff is there's just there's no need for the strong woman just to be the strong woman there's no need for the gay character to just be the gay character there's no need for the black character to just be the black character it's you know it's just so boring at the end of the day you know just reducing people down to just their one thing is uh it's just not that interesting so you know that like i say that also some of them are thieves and some of them are bouncers and some of them are yes divas but divas who care and it's it's just a, a mix of stuff and um and that's why it's part of why like I, I don't i think it would be better in a way if that wasn't such a selling point sometimes you know like i, I guess like we we never it never even occurred to us to sort of promote or talk about sex brutal in that way it was just you know this is a game it's got characters in it and obviously it's story driven. So that is a selling point and stuff like that. But I suppose we've never quite understood why uh, some games and things sort of promote themselves on the back of, uh, you know, those kind of bullet points of saying like, well, we've got this kind of character. So therefore we're automatically good. And it's like, well, yeah. hold on, hold on, hold on. That is, you know, we'll see what you've done with that character. And then we'll see if if it's good. Yeah. But just saying you've got that kind of character or this kind of character does not automatically make you very interesting. So we always felt that you know the sex retail and its characters, everything they can just speak for themselves. You know they can just be. We will do what we think is interesting and funny and entertaining, and and it can just speak for speak for itself. We're not going to sort of bang on about it. You know, I think as well some of the characters that feel more genuine than other types of games because other types of games for example you have a character like um he's really good with a sword he's a massive brute but he's afraid of spiders and his whole thing is he has to go into a spider cavern or you know this this woman's a chef she's a champion cheese cheesecake maker but she's lactose intolerant you, know, you don't need that kind of thing not the not the the plot driven thing or the ironic thing you, it's it's just you see these characters yeah they're the handpicked and invited from high society but mm. the human They've got quirks and they've got flaws, but they're human, and m- more so, they're actually mm-hmm. believable. I found as well. They they were really quite believable. So when I saw um, like Tequila Bell, and when you talk to her and you, you you hear her interactions and stuff, her being a diva but also being caring, I that wasn't such a far fetched thing mm. for me to believe because. You know, most people are genuinely they'll they'll help. You know, the caring. You know, most people will. And th- there's a lot of, especially when the characters are there, they some of them have been there before. Some of them have been there a little bit. They're free to roam anywhere in the mansion. So there's a lot of curiosity going on. So oh, I'll just go over here, and then you get the why is this door locked? Oh, I wonder why that door is locked. You know, let's try and find that out. So it adds to it. But one of the questions that I've got to ask or that I'm going to get onto is when I got to the ending, I replayed it earlier on today. (laughs) 
and I completely forgot about the ending. I can honestly say I've played a lot of games, a lot of puzzle games, a lot of games in my life, and I don't know why, but that ending came out of nowhere. Right. <laughs> Such a simple premise for the entire game. So a massive spoiler alert here. Okay. Mm-hmm. But such a simple premise of a guy who owns a casino and a theatre, this massive, sexy, brutal mansion, all right, has got a pregnant wife and he can't keep up with it anymore. It's it's too expensive, it's too hard to run, and he's going to have a family soon. So he decides to burn it to the ground, but making sure everyone gets outside so no one's hurt. But the bombs go off too early. He dives out the window, everyone dies, and then that plot twist at the end, which genuinely, I, I was playing it earlier on, and it still got me as well. Lucas, the guy in the gold mask, and the guy you play as, all the same person. Mm-hmm. All the servants, all the same person, which makes sense where if you're around the servants, they're going to go for you because it's you. They know it's you, right? But that genuinely hit me because I thought, what? It's like the, that, that scene where you've got like uh, Lucas and then you've got the guy in the gold mask and then you take your mask off and it's all the same person. I was there with my jaw hit the floor and I went, what? <laughs> and this is from a guy who's seen a lot of Doctor Who, so plot twists are funny. <laughs> I still didn't see it coming. <laughs> but, but the entire thing to revolve around a guy wanting to bend down his own place to collect the insurance to downsize, to f- concentrate on his family. And then when everyone died in it, he purposefully sabotaged his own life for 40 years afterwards because he couldn't give that up and he had to punish himself. Then he was living the same day over and over again, more Mm. more than not to remember his friends and try and save them, but no, he can't save everyone, and he just can't forget. And at the Mm. end, I chose to forget. I didn't go back, I might add. I actually (laughs) chose to forget, uh, to to move on, forgive, not forget. Mm -hmm. I didn't go back to perpetuate it, but... Especially with games, I've I've played a lot of what's been dubbed experimental and weird games with interesting plots and what have you. But Sexy Brutal, that ending literally came out of nowhere. And I, I can imagine other people where they're playing it, they, they, they might sort of cotton on, oh yeah, it might be in more, you know, the kind of person that'll sit there and go, well, I'll figure it out instantly. But for me, I tend to suss stuff out really fast mm-hmm. in games. It's there's 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 not that many unique ideas when it comes to video games and puzzles, especially now. But that ending came out of nowhere. I just didn't see it happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, some people some people love it, some people not so keen, you know. But it is it is what it is. Again, it's something that it's it, yeah. I mean, it was it was the only ending it could have. It was what it it was what it meant to us. And and uh, again, something that I'm pleased with is that for me the the game and the design and the story and what it means is in is in lockstep to me you know because of that 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 what what you have played through the experience you've had and that's i think what is what is unique to games what i you know the games that we admire and like do is that games unlike other mediums are able to uh allow you to live uh a moment a system they allow you to, you know, take part in a system where the incentives and punishments can, you know, make you behave in a certain way that can make you empathize with someone else's position or feel someone else's position. Just even, even in a very simple way, just that that's the way, you know, games can, games can work as you sort of walk through that. So 
you know, what I like is that the act of playing the sex brutale and the way you play it uh, is telling you something about what the story is and what is ultimately re- it's revealed to be. So, you know, that that's something that, you know, we were all uh, happy with because that was what we wanted. We wanted to get everything pulling in the same direction and all meaning the same thing and, you know, feeding into itself like that. Excellent. Excellent. So I guess the last question that I have um, before we go to sort of wrapping it up um, is, do you have any advice for people who may be listening or just people that come to you and say, hey, I want to get into video games. I want to go make my own video game, right? What's what are, What are some of your bits of advice for getting into the industry and making games, right? Uh, yeah, it's a question that, yeah, people ask, um, ask a lot. People want to get into games. They want to be game designers and everything. And that's, that's great. Um, I think that the the reason why it's tricky is because I always feel like I'd say the things that people don't want to hear, which, you know, I hate, I know there's, there's advice that people want to hear. And then there's the advice that they kind of don't want to hear, but it's, to me, it is it is the truth. When people ask for advice, the best advice I can give them is what I believe to be absolutely true. Uh, I just don't think it's the most fun answer sometimes. But uh, I mean, for me, obviously, you know, I went down a very traditional path of qualified as a programmer, right? Um, and then, uh, you know, applied for studio jobs and got in. You know, I was very lucky to get in a sort of entry level design type position because I did want to design rather than be a programmer. But, you know, it was great that I had those skills. So that, you know, obviously everything, you know, the advice I give is informed by that. It's just, it's my personal uh, experience of getting into the industry and everything. Lots and lots of people, the, you know, the nice thing about this industry is there are many, 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 many different ways into it. Some people are very, very qualified and have, you know, multiple degrees or whatever. And other people I've worked with who were literally, they were fishermen before they were in the games industry. So, you know, I've seen it all and worked with people from all different walks of life with very, very different ways that they got into the industry. So I can only speak to my own experience in that way. But for me, you know, the idea of doing a game straight out of university or something like that or straight out of school was just beyond impossible. Not only was it practically more difficult, because at that time, this is sort of pre-even XBLA, it's just... I wouldn't know where to begin, and I wouldn't be any good at it. And obviously, I, you know, I made stuff back then, but it's... It is, it is what it is. Uh, it's not, you know, it, I just wasn't, I didn't have any experience, right? Um, so, you know, my advice to people is if they're really serious about it, if they want to make a career out of it rather than a hobby, you know, is to look to join a studio where you can learn and be surrounded by other people working on all the different aspects that go into making a video game and you can you know you can be around them and you can see what everyone else does and you can uh learn that way you can get better at the things you want to be good at while also learning about what everyone else does um and it you know it's quite difficult to be a a generalist you know that's literally going to make sort of every aspect of a game on your own i mean great great if you can do it and god knows it's not like there aren't examples of people doing that amazingly and obviously and some of those are huge success stories so if you can do it you know if you can compose music and uh and and do you know passable art and program and everything more power to you but even then you may still want to 
specialize you know before you immediately sort of jumped into all that stuff i mean lucas pope is obviously a great example of somebody that can turn his hand to everything does his own music does his own stuff but he was you know before anything else a tools programmer at, at naughty dog i think it was which is a very very high skill specific role and you can say that you know, engine programmers they don't get to do anything fun you know but obviously he was picking up everything as he was as he was working with those other people so yeah i mean my my recommendation would be to you know, if you want to take it seriously, then um, then then look to a studio you could join where you could then uh, then learn things and stuff. I certainly, I just, I, I in no way felt ready to do anything independently until I'd worked for many years at both uh, Electronic Arts and Lionhead. So you know, that's uh, uh, that's 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 my advice. You know, but obviously, some people will you know completely just go at their own. Uh, out of college or whatever and, and do their own thing and they'll be enormously successful and, you know, more power to them. That's awesome. I would have never, ever had the guts or the ability to do that. <laughs> so, but, you know, if you can do it, more power to you. But my advice would be uh, maybe think more long term and think about how you're going to have a career, you know, rather than a passing interest or something that you're going to throw a few years into after college or something like that. And then panic, and then be looking for real jobs and stuff like that, or you know, whatever. <laughs> it's uh, it's not it's not the fun advice, but it's the responsible advice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's the difficult thing to get across to people is when they when they sort of you're talking to maybe a 14, 15, 16 year old who's going, "I want to be a games programmer, I'll make the games, and it'll be the game thing, and it'll be brilliant." And it's like awesome, you've got all of that enthusiasm, right? Take that and use it to go. F- uh, fuel studying, right? Because mm. you're going to need, there's a lot of grit and determination required. Use that enthusiasm to fuel that because otherwise you're just going to fizzle out. You'll be really excited about making the game, but you won't be excited about doing the, the sort of the hard bit that comes beforehand, yeah. the learning how to do learning how, like, like you said, maybe learning how to do um, artwork or maybe how to do design or do um, audio, or even if you go down the route of programming, okay, you take programming, brilliant, but you've got to learn, you're either an engine programmer or a tools programmer, like you said, or a shader programmer. And that's mm-hmm. all 3d maths, right? So yeah. then all of that requires you to learn all of the other stuff that goes with it. So use that enthusiasm, go learn something with it. Cause yeah. that's, that's the difficult bit, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, completely, completely agree. And the thing is then if it does fizzle, if I, you know, I always feel like if that advice comes down on someone like a ton of bricks, if they feel like, Oh, well, that sounds bloody awful. That's taking the wind out of my sails. If that is true, I'm not sure how well it would have gone if you did jump into it, you know, because this is a long mm-hmm. game and, and, and game development, even, you know, it's not like, depending on what you're doing, it's not like you're getting to punt out all different games of all different variety all the time. You don't get to change your mind every three months about what you want to do. You know, when you're, when you're doing something, you're committing to it, you've got to grind that out. And, and every, every, you know, the beginning of any project is fun. Uh, and the middle is horrible. And then the end is a whole new level of horrible. But you've actually got the light at the end of the tunnel to, to drive you through that bit. Um, so, you know, yeah. it's, it's a long game. It's difficult. And I think if people if if people do hear that advice and just think, oh, well, that sounds, you know, miserable. I wanted to just kind of crack on. It's like, well, they probably would have fizzled out anyway. Absolutely. Absolutely. Excellent. Um, so what does the future hold for Charles slash Cavalier Games? Is this something you can talk about? Is there anything in the pipeline? I know that 
the sexy brutal this dates the recording uh the sexy brutal has just recently come out on the switch mm-hmm. so that's pretty cool yeah um, yeah is there anything else coming on? Yeah, I'm not asking so. for an exclusive. I'm not asking you to void any NDAs. I'm just thinking if folks want to carry on with the whole, oh, I wonder what's coming up next, because someone will be asking, right? Oh, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is that you can always follow us on, on Twitter or whatever and stay in there. I mean, we don't, you know, we're not big social media users at all, but, you know, we're around and we're alive um, and, we, you know, we'll always be there. But the thing is, I think similar with Sex Brutal, this is just another thing, right? The whole thing about going independent is just an answer. It's just an opportunity for you to address all the things you hate. <laughs> that's, that's all it's about, right? You know, you, you just get to do things your way. And, and, and another thing that sort of bugs us is the, the hype cycle, you know, or the, especially with indie games. I think it's quite terrible with indie games sometimes. Why are games that are, you know, fresh off the ideas page getting covered in the press so much, you know, because th- th- that is not a thing that people can buy. It's not even a thing that people are close to being able to buy. It is years away. So, you know, getting people excited about something that is just also there's, that game may not even come out. There is no route to it coming out. It doesn't have a publisher, doesn't have a real team behind it or whatever. So it might be a quirky, interesting kind of thing, but, you know, but it, it, it does it have a legitimate path coming out and things like that. So, you know, with Sex Brutal and everything, we just did, we just didn't talk about it. We didn't, you know, nothing, nothing was made public until it was actually genuinely round the corner. Because, you know, I think, I think that's just a, a more honest and a more fun way of doing it. It's like if you see it and you get excited about it, great. You should be because it's coming out soon. That's cool. You know, uh, so we will just keep ourselves to ourselves, uh, until it's actually something that, people can can look at and and they know is you know coming coming around the corner kind of thing sure yeah. sure i've uh i've actually seen in the past it's related to something that you said earlier on about the the idea has just come off the page and we're advertising it already right i saw one uh jo- this was maybe four or five years ago i saw one job listing when i was contemplating going independent and freelance and all that kind of stuff where it was like developers wanted for exciting new game property and i was like okay i'll click it see what finds out and see what you know how it turns out and essentially they had the concept art but they wanted developers and audio producers and story writers and a name mm-hmm. and developers and i'm like you don't have an exciting new property you've got a bunch of images that you've drawn yeah and that's it right yeah, exactly. <laughs> but because they'd already started advertising it and saying yeah we're going to ship it in a year they were like oh right we have to actually make this thing now <laughs> yeah it's that's it yeah that falls into the category of like yeah what you've got is a room and a dream you know that's uh, yeah. <laughs> and you might not even have a room <laughs> yeah i mean that's uh, that's uh yeah it's definitely you know a thing but then uh, but and the, the problem with it you know the thing that is annoying about it is it's not a completely victimless thing when that sort of stuff endlessly goes on because it adds to a level of cynicism and suspicion in people buying games and i think you know it was utterly unsurprising that Kickstarter was a thing that, you know, burst up, got really popular. Some people got far too excited about it being the future of publishing. It obviously wasn't. And it was just a matter of time before enough projects failed miserably to then just imbue the games buying public with absolute cynicism and skepticism 
about all these things. Mm. And so it's, it's, it's a shame, but it is, there is uh, a negative side to covering games so early in their development when they just don't have, because I think it just adds to an overall, but you know, people hear, they read a number of stories over this early period about some total vaporware project, you know, and then three, four, five, six, seven years down the line, it never materialized. And there was actual column inches wasted in many ways on covering this game that was never a thing. It never became something that somebody could buy. And there is an opportunity cost to that because there are a whole bunch of other people making games, you know, that they're also working really hard on that do have publishing deals or whatever and around the corner. And so, you know, the coverage, the coverage is a, is a premium currency for people. It can make or break uh, indie developers and things like that. So, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things. Really. But, you know, people are going to get excited about what they get excited about. Journalists are going to cover what they, what they cover. So. That's true. That's true. Well, um, I mean, those are all the questions that, that we have, really. So uh, what I want to do, Charles, is thank you ever so much uh, for coming on to the podcast and talking with us about the Sexy Brutal, dropping some real knowledge there about the development and uh, production of video games and, you know, that experience that everybody really needs to take a moment and think about, yes, this thing can be advertised too early. And yes, the hype machine can get too um, too big and it will explode and nothing will happen. So <laughs> it, it means a lot to have someone with your experience being able to sort of echo that sentiment. Um, it's something that we all know, but very few people actually actually acknowledge. So mm. thank you very much for that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's fun or interesting things for anybody there. <laughs> you know, it it's is what it is. Fun and interesting, interesting to me. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if we find it interesting, then we find it interesting, right? Yeah, right. But yeah, so thank you ever so much. So uh, just to really quickly wrap up. So uh, thank you everyone for listening to uh, the episode that we've just been done, uh, we've just done, which is Waffling Tellers. Uh, Charles, could you just give us a quick, um, what was the Twitter account that people can follow to to find out about Cavalier Games when you're ready to announce things? Yeah, sure. Uh, it is that the Twitter account is at Cavalier underscore GS. That's the Twitter account, Excellent. and then obviously, yeah, and then we're also on Facebook and uh, there's Sex Brutal Twitter and things like that. But yeah, if you want to specifically follow the studio, you can find just Cavalier Game Studios. Awesome. Thank you ever so much. So yeah, um, like I said, thank you ever so much for spending the time with us. Thank you very much, Squidge, for joining me and providing the uh, the interesting things. Uh, I didn't really say that much that's interesting. You guys said all the interesting things. I just sort of sat here and waffled at you. <laughs> so thank you ever so much for that. And yeah, um, if you've been listening, click through onto your whatever it is that you're listening to and click through to those full show notes. Cause I tend to, I tend to write um, a couple maybe about a thousand words of things that we discussed and links to other places and where you can go find out more stuff. So definitely do that. And uh, we'll see you again next time. Thank you ever so much. Charles. Awesome. Thanks a lot guys. Thank, Thank you. you. See you later, Squidgy. See you later, What? <laughs> exactly. Intro music is Among the Stars by Muse Station Productions. 
Outro music is I Need You Watashi no Sabate by GH. Spoiler break music is Spectrum Subdiffusion Mix by Phonics. Palette cleanser music is Breathe Deep, Breathe Clear by Siobhan Dagay. See the show notes for more details. The Waffling Tailors podcast is a proud member of the J&J Media Network. To find out more about J&J Media, head over to jayandjay.media or check the show notes for a link.